The difference between having a great quarter, making your number, or reporting a bad quarter often comes down to the effectiveness of your sales team's discovery calls and demos. But how do you make sure your reps are doing the right things on their calls in order to finish the quarter strong? Well, introducing Gong.io, the number one conversation intelligence platform for B2B sales teams. Gong helps you ensure your reps are doing deep discovery calls and crisp sales demos by recording, transcribing, and analyzing their calls. And Gong allows you to understand how well your playbook is being followed and analyze how well it's working so you can constantly move the needle on your win rates. Now, if you request a demo of Gong as a result of hearing this message, you'll get a free ebook copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling, 10 Essential Steps to Accelerate Every Company's Sales. So go to gong.io forward slash accelerate to request your no-obligation demo and get your copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling. Again, that's gong.io forward slash accelerate, G-O-N-G dot I-O forward slash accelerate. So go there now and come back and enjoy today's episode. It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 578 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I'm excited to talk to my guest today. Joining me on the show is Jay Bear. Jay's a well-known digital marketing expert, online customer service expert, multiple New York Times best-selling author of books including Utility, which is spelled Y O Utility, and Hug Your Haters. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk about the customer experience and get into just how much of the customer's purchase decision is based upon their experience with the sales rep themselves. Now, this part may surprise you, so you want to make sure you stick around for the whole conversation. I guarantee you'll be rewarded. We're also going to get into the subject of whether marketing priorities are out of whack. As Jay points out, the vast majority of digital budgets now are being spent on new customer acquisition and not very much on retention. And we all know renewals and retention is ultimately where the big dollars are. So again, stick around for that. If you'd like to see the summary notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 578. There you'll find timestamp breakdown of this and all conversations on Accelerate. Now, today's a big day. Today is the official second anniversary of Accelerate. And it's it's been a crazy journey. I mean, think about it. Five, we didn't set out to do 578 episodes, well over a million downloads. I mean, that's all thanks to you, my friends that are listening to the show on a regular basis. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. And it's also due to your support that Accelerate's becoming widely acknowledged, not only as the premier podcast for serious sales professionals, but the show has also been recognized twice recently by Inc. Magazine, uh, first as one of the top 12 leadership podcasts. I mean, we don't position ourselves as a leadership podcast. We have a lot of people on the show talking about leadership, not just for sales, but in life as well. And just last week, Inc. recognized us as one of the top eight most binge-worthy marketing podcasts. Again, we're not necessarily a marketing podcast, but like with our guest today, Jay Bear, we do get into marketing and how that impacts sales and vice versa. So since this milestone, sort of second anniversary, we'd really like to hear from you. Been What's been your favorite episode so far? I mean, who's been your favorite guest? Who would you like to have us have back on the show? If you go back all the way to episode one, that was with my good friend, Mike Weinberg, author of New Sales Simplified, wonderful St. Louis guy. Now, if you haven't heard that episode, the one that started it all, go back and listen. You can go to my website, andypaul.com forward slash podcast hyphen quick hyphen reference or just in the front top navigation bar, click on podcast, 
complete episode list, click on that and scroll down the bottom. You'll see the episode with Mike number one. I would also like to hear from you about what your favorite episode has been. So again, you can go to the same place if you want to review the list of episodes and then send us a message telling us what your favorite episode has been. You can go to my homepage at andypaul.com. On the lower right-hand corner of the page, you'll find a red button that you can click on. It says, ask a question, but you can use it to send us a message. Uh, Send us an audio message. And everybody that leaves a message telling us what their favorite episode has been, I'll send you a signed copy of my second book, Amp Up Your Sales. And you make sure you leave your mailing address, otherwise we won't know where to send it to. All right, before we get to Jay, let me remind you that today's show is brought to you in part by our friends at gong.io. Gong analyzes your sales calls and demonstrations so you can understand what's working and what's not. It's a great coaching tool to help managers boost rep productivity. So check it out at gong.io forward slash accelerate. And if you do that today, you'll get a free PDF copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling. And then finally, before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that we want to hear your questions about your sales challenges, sales management challenges you're facing. And each week, I'll choose one question from those submitted the previous week to answer on my Friday conversation with my co-host, Bridget Gleason. That's right. Every Friday on Frontline Fridays, we'll tackle one of the questions. And the winner, the person who submitted the question, will win a free half-hour coaching call with me. That's over a $250 value, so you want to make sure you don't delay. Do that today. You can submit your questions again via email at andy at andypaul.com or through the homepage of my website, andypaul.com. Click the red button, leave us an audio message. All right, let's jump right into it now. Jay Bear, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you very much for having me. I am ready to accelerate. I feel like I am uh, in, in a position of sloth, and so I'm ready to accelerate. <laughs> oh, okay, here we go then. Let's, so first question is question I ask all my guests is, in your mind, what's, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales sellers or sales reps today? fundamentally, it's lack of trust in organizations. It's not lack of trust in sales. It's lack of trust in organizations. Fascinating research from Nielsen shows that we trust people twice as much as we trust companies or organizations, which is why good salespeople are so important now, because they can put that that, that human face on an organization that is perhaps not fully trusted. And so in some ways, customers trust their sales rep much more so than they trust the company themselves. So sales having to sort of be the tip of the spear for a larger organization that may or may not have that same kind of trust is a challenge. And that challenge is not going to go away. No, oh gosh, I, I, I think it's going to get manifestly worse as we talk about um, you know the impact of AI and machine learning and bots and so on into the sales process. Where yep. yeah, people could be pretty leery about this idea of well, hmm, at what point am I comfortable talking with what I know to be you know a virtual assistant, let's say, as opposed to yeah, I really want to talk to a salesperson right now. Yeah, I think it's actually going to be a renaissance for salespeople when we fully implement AI, cognitive, and and that level of automation. Mm -hmm. The ability to have an actual conversation with a human being and get your questions answered in a true one-to-one personalized fashion with a human being, I think is going to come back into favor uh, in a way that that perhaps it it hasn't uh, for a little while. Yeah, I don't know if you've read Jeff Colvin's book, uh, Humans Are Underrated, but yeah, yes. basically the, the research, that's basically what that's showing, right, is that that, that the skills that are really going to be in demand going forward are those, what he called, uh, intensely human skills, you know, empathy, being able to build relationships, collaboration, co-creation, and so on. 
And I mean, you talk a lot about about the future or about customer experience, but when I look at the future mm-hmm. of customer experience, you know, how do you see the automation being used to enhance it? And then, like I said, what do you see as the limits? Well, we're we're hoping we're hoping that technology allows companies to be more efficient and more responsive when dealing with routine customer circumstances, right? So you think about how much time is invested in answering the same questions over and over and over, either in a routine capacity or or there's a service outage. And so we know we're going to get a huge flood of phone calls or emails or tweets, what have you. So the the ability to uh, sort of skim that that repeatable layer off the top to then be able to invest greater time and effort into more bespoke questions and customer uh, issues is certainly a best practice. And when done well, is a huge boon for companies. Now, unfortunately, in some cases, it's not done well today. The technology isn't perfect. Uh, people's ability to master the technology isn't perfect. And so you already see some circumstances where companies are trying to use AI and bots and messenger bots and things like that to sort of be frontline customer service. And, and it doesn't exactly work uh, how we would like it to, but it's still early days. So who do you know that's using it really well that you could give as an example? One of my favorite organizations in in all things customer service and customer experience is KLM, the Royal Dutch Airlines. They are remarkably good at uh, digital customer service, starting with social media. Uh, They have invested a tremendous amount of time and capital in Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp support. They staff 24 hours a day in 14 different languages. Uh, They generated last year just out of their customer service department uh, some $25 million in sold airline tickets just as an accident. I mean, they're not a sales group. They're a customer service group, but it's in the process of delivering service. Like, well, by the way, here's a link to a flight. So so they're actually, um, you know, revenue neutral for the organization, which is remarkable. And now the sort of next wave for them is use of Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp Messenger, other messaging systems to, to do the routine. Is my flight on time. I need to rebook. What do I do next? You know, things that that are fairly obvious in, in terms of your decision tree, mm-hmm. uh, and they're doing a great job with it. So, where do they have the cutover point between where the humans cut in? That's the interesting thing. There's some great companies out there powering that type of technology who have trigger points in in the handoff. So, if if this happens, if if the customer repeats the question, or if the customer uses this word or that word, it mm-hmm. automatically flags and gets passed over to a human. But what's interesting is that these systems, using AI and machine learning, get smarter and smarter and smarter. And so over time, uh, the their ability to to sort of mine for sentiment, mine for irony, uh, mine for sarcasm, which is really important in a customer service context, oh, yeah. their ability to do that successfully. Right? Yeah, you guys are the best right yeah. and, and it's, it's intending to me wow we just got a compliment um, ding 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 yeah <laughs> right, exactly they they fire up the high five emoji and that's right. not exactly what they were looking for there uh but these systems uh, are, are self-learning at some level and so over time uh the need for humans to jump in there and do a handoff goes down uh but again you know it it, it requires a tremendous amount of data to polish that up you think about how long Google's been doing voice search, how much data now Amazon has through mm-hmm. the Amazon ecosystem. Uh, I mean, it's it's extraordinary, but still, even with all of that data, uh, you know, they're still learning all the time and, and making it better. Yeah, I mean, I don't think humans are going to be obsolete anytime soon. 
I mean, certainly not, not in my life. No, and what's like. funny about that, you know, it's funny you say that because, uh, and I think that the group that especially wants that to be true are humans, right? I mean, we oh, sure. marketers in particular, marketers in particular are guilty of this. Like, well, what if we just had robots and we could just use our robot army to get you to buy stuff? Uh, but the people who don't want that to happen are actually the customers. And, and so I think marketers in general are more guilty than ever. At, at being seduced by technology at saying, well, geez, look at all these things that we can do and we can press this button, this thing happens. And if we press this other button, this other thing happens. And, and at the end of the day, the process of, of marketing and really the process of sales as well hasn't changed that much. It's just how you go about it. We are seduced by technology because we aren't really sure what all those options and alternatives are. And so if we feel some, we feel like we find something that can take our pain away and sort of be the ones stop shop, we, we gravitate towards that. It's just human nature. But ultimately, marketing and sales has always been and will always be uh, about the wizard and not the wand. It's not about the technology. It's it's about satiating customer needs. Well, it's interesting. You know, sales is always, to my mind, and this may be because I'm a salesperson who worked for years in, in the Valley and engineering-driven companies. So sales is always the necessary evil. And I remember you know, raising money for, for companies where the VCs, this is sort of in the or the 2008 crash, many of them would say, look, we're, we're just not going to invest in a company that needs to have a sales force to sell it. Right? Yeah, it's got to be pure SaaS. If it's not self-serve, we don't think it's going to yeah. work. It's funny yeah. you say that because now I do I do a lot of angel investing myself and I'm a limited partner in a few VC funds. And, right. and in many cases, uh, it's the opposite now. Oh, I know. Uh, what what, <laughs> I look what people look for is, look, do you actually have a sales strategy? Do you have a sales leader? Do you have the ability to pick up the phone and close deals? Because I think we've recognized that, that, that you know, I don't want to make a blanket statement here. There's a ton of very, very successful self-serve led SaaS companies out there that are just killing it. Uh, but especially for higher value, more complex sales, the thought that you're going to have such good marketing that, that somebody's just going to fork over their credit card for tons of money without ever talking to a person is a fallacy. It's not true. Yeah, yeah. And, but that's, you know, to your point, you said, you know, hey, marketing, I think, always sort of giving the evil eye to sales and wishing they could poof and go away. But I think it really started, <laughs> started much higher up in the, in the food chain with the investors and, and senior management. So, so let me ask this, go back and ask. Marketing always feels like, marketing always feels like, well, if it wasn't for the salespeople, you know, everything would be fine. But the reality (laughs) is when you take the salespeople away and marketing is accountable for actual sales, not just lead gen, the song is sung very differently. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've encountered many VP of marketing who suddenly found themselves in charge of the, uh, the SDR team thinking how quickly can I hand this back to the salesperson? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, so let's talk about that a little bit. So interesting as I go through yeah, you know, and preparing for this interview and reading a lot of what you had written and and I've you know read some of your books as well, but I didn't see a lot about sales marketing alignment. And this it seems like everybody wants to come on the show. I probably once a week I get requests from somebody to come on the show because they want to talk about sales marketing alignment. It's certainly mm-hmm. more uh, more in the moment these days with the whole account based marketing, account based sales. Yes. Um, and you know, I saw your investor in Terminus that's that's in that business. Mm-hmm. So so is too much being made of this? No, I don't think so. It's funny you mentioned that. I actually do a fair amount of speaking on that topic about this marketing concept. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, and how to realign sales and marketing. I just did an event about it last week in Tucson, as a matter of fact. Uh, I haven't written a book about it because it's not a book that would sell any copies. Uh, it's, it's, it, I mean, that's, that's the truth, right? I mean, there's, there's such a small universe of people who want to buy that book that it's actually not worth writing that book. Right. Um, at least it's not f- for me. It may be for, for other folks who are more in that world, specifically on a consultative basis or a technology basis, but it is incredibly important. And, and, and I think we're starting to see that alignment naturally. I mean, it, it is happening organically uh, because sales has to act more like marketing and use social media and the whole field of social selling to interact with customers in ways that transcend the typical sales playbook. And obviously, marketing is acting uh, in a role that for many, 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 many years was strictly sales role uh, in terms of informing customers and, and getting mm-hmm. them ready for a sale. You know, the, the marketing plays so deep in the funnel now compared to what right. it used to be uh, that it's it's really quite remarkable. So marketing is acting more like sales and sales is acting more like marketing without um, anybody necessarily making that happen and saying, here's the movement and here's how it works. It just is. But there are definitely some ways to do that well and some ways to do that poorly. And actually, this is going to sound hopelessly basic. But one of the things we do on the consulting side of our company, one of the things I talk about on stage when I when I mention alignment is is just familiarity. You know, familiarity fights against contempt and mm-hmm. this idea that every time there's a marketing meeting, somebody from sales should be in that meeting. And every time there's a sales meeting, somebody from marketing should be in that meeting and having monthly desk side visits and ride alongs and all the things that you would do to make one side understand truly day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute what the other side does. Those things are massively effective in organizations. And it sounds crazy basic, but the reality is almost nobody does it. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You start off the, the, I think the actual quote is familiarity breeds contempt, but, but uh, it could also combat contempt as well. Um, I, you know, I was talking to somebody just about this a week ago, and and it's sort of interesting. Their perspective was that that they thought some companies went too far, you know, like the ride-alongs and so on. They thought mm-hmm. it was like too much for marketing to do, and I. I didn't get that at all. I mean, I'm with you. I think it's like whatever you can do to make people understand and empathize. If marketing with thinks that's too much work, you do different marketers. Well, yeah, right? For sure. So, Because marketing needs to get out of their office anyway, whether it's with sales or with somebody else. Like I've been doing this a long time. I've been digital marketing. I've been in digital marketing since 1993. And I've been in marketing in one form or fashion since 1988. And one of the things we've lost in the marketing industry is understanding of customer needs. Because we used to get out of our office and go talk to customers and observe customers in the field and interact with customers and talk on the phone to customers, all the things that we had to do because we had no other choice. Mm-hmm. Now marketing says, let me go to a SaaS portal and press a button and spit out a report. And I'm going to use the numbers on that report as a proxy for understanding customer intent. And that is not an accurate proxy. It is semi-accurate, but there is no replacement for talking to customers, observing customers, and spending time amidst customers. And in large measure, marketers have given up that discipline. And what they want to do is sit on their ass at their desk and press a button. And that is not a recipe for good marketing. What I tell my team all the time is if you want to be a great marketer, get out of your desk. Well, but we have the same issue in sales, right? You look at the whole idea. I mean, outside nope. versus inside, right? I yeah. mean, how many outside salespeople are there now? Well, yeah, but let's look in the SaaS business, for instance, is, is yeah, how often are these companies getting out and sending people to talk to customers, actually talk to customers face to face, you know, walk the halls of their business, talk to more than one, you know, multiple people. Yeah, we all have multiple stakeholders. We've talked to them on the phone, blah, blah, blah. No, I should go meet them. 
It, it yeah. doesn't happen. I mean, doesn't, for, doesn't for, happen. You know, for, for enterprise, you know, for enterprise and, 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 you know, really big buy B2B kind of stuff, it still happens, of course. But but in a lot, a lot of companies, it never happens. You're exactly right, which is why uh, I think user conferences and customer conferences are so important because you, you're, you're bringing them to you, uh, which is a way to interact with them and get a better feel for them without having to do it on a one to one basis. Obviously, it's better to visit customers on their turf, not your turf. But I'm, I'm bullish on on customer conferences for that reason, because at least it's a, a half step. Yeah, no, I agree. And they are valuable. I mean, I've, I've been to a couple recently that yeah, were quite good. So so. So related to that, though, you just recently had written a, or published an article saying that B2B marketers are working harder than necessary, which is you know, somewhat stems from what we were just talking about in terms of, of mm-hmm. you know, sales and marketing alignment and the demands now that are placed on marketing. And you thought it was disheartening. So maybe tell us why you thought that was disheartening. Well, it, it seems to me that at this point in time, uh, having been in this industry for a long time and we all have that we would be using our time more efficiently, that that we would have a better sense of who our customers are, that sales and marketing would be working together more closely just as a matter of course, and that things like account-based marketing would just be the norm, not some newfangled thing that people are trying on like like a, a bathrobe. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe I'm just foolish and and expect things to coalesce more quickly than the industry is actually ready to coalesce. But um, there, there's still just a lot of nonsense in in the sales and marketing world today. And, and I, I'm hoping that that some measure of AI and with a dose of humanity will will take some of that nonsense away. But but maybe that's too optimistic. Well, one of the concerns you surfaced in the article was that too much of marketing's time and resources are being focused on lead gen. Yeah, absolutely. And partially because that's what they're being tasked with. It's not that they're necessarily saying, what I want to do today is generate a bunch of leads. It's that in B2B companies in particular, we've got many, many, many clients that we work with in that space. You know, leadership is saying to the CMO, what we're going to measure you and your entire team on is SQLs. Mm -hmm. And smart marketers say, well, yeah. But SQLs don't happen without some measure of higher order demand gen, brand building, et cetera. And people say, yeah, that's great. We get that. But at the end of the day, every month and every quarter, we're going to sit down and we're going to go through the, the MQLs, SQLs, and make sure those numbers are there. It's just the way teams now have been held to account. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily um the best long-term outcome. I could be wrong. Uh, I don't think it's it's about marketing not being accountable. I think it's about people not understanding all the different facets of marketing and how they work together. Well, yeah. I mean, the quote you have from Forrester's report was that 80% of B2B digital budgets are spent on customer acquisition, where mm-hmm. in most SaaS companies, I mean, if they have any degree of maturity, the majority of the revenue is being generated through their customer success team. And sure. In some cases, it's overwhelming majorities. Right. Uh, well, it and, should and, be. And, and, yeah, it should be. And, and, but yet, what's interesting, some of that's structural, right? So, so the marketing team does not get credit, quote-unquote, nor does the sales team get credit, quote-unquote, for renewals. 
uh, at least not in the classic sense. And so, you know, you're going to emphasize what you're getting measured and frankly bonused on. And so in so many companies, the way it's organized is that the sales team is, is, is commissioned on net new business. Marketing team is held accountable for net new sales qualified leads and, and, you know, new business generated. But when those customers renew, when the overall lifetime value of those customers goes up and up and up, nobody's got a piece of that pie. And, and so, obviously people are going to spend most of their time and most of their budget doing the things that they're actually compensated for. But th- this focus, this unrelenting focus on, on lead gen and customer acquisition is, is really short-sighted. Um, everybody knows, like everybody in the history of business knows that it makes so much more strategic sense to keep the customers you've already earned than having to always fill that, that leaky bucket and churn customers and, and be on that treadmill. Like everybody knows that there's no, there's no opposing camp there. There's no alternate school of thought. There's nobody who's going to credibly say, Oh no, it's good to churn customers unless you're in an incredibly low margin business with an infinite customer base, i.e., you know, telco sure. uh, or, or fast food. Like nobody's going to argue that, but yet we all know that, but nobody organizes their companies that way. It's, it's, it's astonishing to me how we all know that retention is important, but yet almost nobody actually emphasizes it in word or deed. Well, it, is some of that though, that there's, they're all trying to play from the same playbook. I mean, perhaps <laughs> everybody's got the predictable revenue book on their shelves and they, you know, the yeah. investors pull it down and say, Hey, this is what sales needs to look like. But yeah, as you said, they are these are incredibly hungry machines, sales machines that require lots of lots of leads. I just think part of it too is that we we tend to have a better understanding of what activities generate leads and customers. I think we have a less clear understanding of what activities generate increased renewals. And that mm-hmm. that may be that may be cause or effect, I'm not certain, but but there is a number of playbooks that will tell you how to generate net new customers. There's not that many playbooks that say, if you do this, this, and this, your renewals will go up. Therefore, your lifetime value of that customer will go up. I mean, certainly we've got some senses of, of sure. what good customer services, there's bad customers, et cetera, but, but you don't really have the same kind of playbooks. And that may be, and that may be part of it. Well, I wonder though, too, is for me, part of the disconnect is that, yeah, we're spending, let's say 80% of, of marketing's digital budgets on customer acquisition. Yet, at least on the figures that I've read, is that the ultimate close rates in the SaaS business hover between 20 and 25% on average. And so, to me, that's, that's not very efficient or effective if you're gener- spending all this money to generate all these leads that have a low probability of closing. So it seems like, to me, that's, that's really something that has to be addressed, both from a marketing and sales standpoint, is, yeah, how do we, how do we change this product, basic productivity measure, which isn't very good? Yeah, there's still a tremendous amount of unintentional love for low quality leads. I mean, people really pay attention to the number more so than than the quality, which of course wastes a ton of time. And, and the time that it wastes most egregiously is sales time. And so then what happens, of course, when you've got low quality leads because marketing is more interested in the numbers than the than the quality is then is in sales gets disenfranchised and disenchanted about the leads and they don't work the leads because they think they're bad. And it basically is the Glengarry Glenn Ross movie played out in a digital setting. Uh, it's, it's Glengarry Glenn Ross with slack is really what is really what happens. <laughs> Uh, and everybody just sits around and, and blames each other and points fingers. Well, yeah. Well, I think on top of that, what happens? You get, you know, given that we have you know a small cadre of top performers in every organization, for the rest of them, you know, those as you said, bad leads that they're giving unintentional love to are like security blankets, right? Yes, can't be criticized because yes. I've got leads. 
Right That's from right. working these leads. I've got a lot of leads. Yeah, but you know, you're not closing any of them or they're converting at a very poor rate. So yeah, we might as well not have them. Yeah, at that point, yeah, at that point, you might as well not not have the leads or the salespeople. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's, that's a whole other conversation we have at, at some other point. So, so I want to get back to the the customer experience thing for just a second. So, how much of the customer experience? Because you know, people people start, I guess, look at it in sort of a totality. But but to me, I mean, the customer experience really drives the customer decision to some extent, right? The the customer experience during the sales process. I mean, is is there much carryover into you know sort of the post sale from the pre sale? Oh, no question. There, there absolutely is because the salesperson is setting the organizational wide expectations for that customer. It doesn't matter what the website says. It doesn't matter what they saw uh, on the original webinar. What matters and what's going to stick in the mind of the customer is what the salespeople say. And and this happens all the time, of course, where a salesperson under promises or over promises or different promises. And then the organization has got to cash that metaphorical check because the customer says, oh, yeah, but the salesperson said this and said this and said this. That becomes gospel to the client. And so this idea of sales sort of setting the overall customer experience trajectory, which then gets handed off to customer success, is incredibly important and doesn't get talked about nearly enough. That That, that is, from the customer perspective, it's a continuum. Organizationally, we think of it as two very, very different sets of circumstances and two very, very different different departments. But from the customer standpoint, it's a continuum and we don't run businesses that way very often. And so the same way it would be great to be doing more sales and marketing ride-alongs, it's just as important in some ways to be doing sales and customer success ride-alongs and that kind of familiarity and making sure that that handoff is more seamless. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad you, because I believe the same thing. I always frustrated this looked at two different parts. And I think that that a it's hugely important in terms of getting the decision. But then as you said, for meeting their expectations, there's oftentimes that huge disconnect in that handoff. And, and yeah, that leads to churn. Well, and really, what is a customer success team other than an indirect sales force? Well, a direct sales force, I guess, right? I mean, I, I yeah, in some ways, <laughs> yeah, in some ways, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of funny. I was talking to somebody ran customer success at a SaaS company. And, and they don't do sales training for their CSMs or account managers. Wow. And it's like, well, then well, how do they know what to do? <laughs> right? Yeah. Aren't they in sales? Yeah, well, right. No, they're account managers. You know, they're man- no, no. Aren't they responsible they're for themselves and cross-sales? They're just making people happy. But yeah, yeah, they're just making people happy. But to what end? Yeah. Well, and that's why I think this whole dichotomy between you know, sort of hunters and farmers is sort of ridiculous because you know, in my account management role, and I've ran account teams like that with, at the time we called them program managers, but they were responsible for the implementation of customer success on large programs. Yeah, those guys were hunters as well. I mean, sure, that was, yeah. the whole, that was our whole business was based on renewals and upsells and cross-sells. Yes. I mean, if they're not in the asking the questions, and that's why I find that dichotomy with employers saying, well, we've got a different set of requirements between the two because one are the quote-unquote hunters. It's like, yeah, if you have that set up, then you're really selling yourself short. No kidding. So what advice could you give sellers about how to influence the customer experience while they're selling? Because you know, I loved your, your video you, you had about your trip to Chicago. Um, we talked the small things like you know, the, the card in your Western Hotel that, that yeah. uh, you yeah. know, text me if you have questions or right. the business card you got with your mattress pad, which actually I presumed I sort of connected the mattress pad with your stay at the Westin because the beds are so comfortable at the Westin. I presume you just came home and said we had to have a more comfortable bed. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that, but you may have uh, pinpointed uh, my actual customer journey there. Nice. Yeah. So, 
So nice. what are the small things? I, not to put you on the spot, but... We, it, we, you know what? No, no, it's fine. Um, it's actually my going to be my next book is this concept of talk triggers. So little operational different, difference makers that, that turn customers into marketers, right? That, that create that right. viral word of mouth effect. And sales can play a big, a big role there as well. But you know what's interesting? A lot of the ones that I've been talking about and diagnosing recently are those that do add humanity to what is customarily a somewhat inhuman process. So the more that you can put a face to the company, the better off you're going to be. As I mentioned at the outset, we don't trust companies. We don't trust organizations. We trust people in massively disproportionate ratios. And so just this week, uh, I got back from vacation. And so we did sort of a belated Father's Day thing. And uh, my, my wife and my kids got me a hammock for Father's Day, mm-hmm. which is really a, a fantastic Father's Day gift. I'm a big fan. Right. Uh, and in, in the hammock was another card which said, uh, meet the person who made your hammock, go to this web address. And so I did and found out that my particular hammock was made by uh, Brant Allen, who's the production manager for this company, Nags Head Hammocks. And uh, he he likes to uh, play baseball and he's a baseball coach and he also fishes a lot and he fishes uh, for Bream and the Carolinas with his son. And so now I feel like I've got a whole kind of sense of who he is and who the company is. And it's not just, you know, some organization knocking out hammocks uh, that they actually have a real culture there. And, and that changes the way you think about customer experience and the organization. And salespeople are uniquely positioned to do that. We talked uh, in in our uh, in the habits uh, section about this idea of using video mm-hmm. as a humanization device, also really, really important for sales. So I think what salespeople have to have to come to understand is that they are they are the face of the organization in a very important and meaningful way. And they have to continue to double down on that and, and treat that as an opportunity, not as some sort of a burden. So two things that come out of that. One is, is in your mind, is there a difference between humanization and personalization? Yes, and I, absolutely. Let's, let's explore that, because I think that was something that I was sort of catching on to there, which I think is important to explore a little bit. I'm actually making a note of that, because I'm going to write a blog post about that. All right. Um, hold on. I'm making my note. Good. I will credit. Just, I will credit you and link, link to the show. Yeah, link me in. Right. Thank you. You got it. Uh, so humanization is is adding human characteristics to the organization to showcase the people in the organization uh, and or the customers of the organization and or the business partners of the organization. It's it's putting a a human face. It's uh, personification. Uh, those kind of things. Personalization is adding relevancy to the customer journey by providing information to customers that is very much tailored to their circumstances. Um, sometimes that's that's something as easy as using somebody's name in an email subject line. Sometimes it's, hey, we have a, a webinar that's about the issues that are only specific to your industry, et cetera, et cetera. Some of it's doing dynamic content on the homepage that when they come back, we know they've been there before. And so we're going to personalize their, their website journey based on what we know they've looked at in the past. Some of it's just not using canned emails in your sales script, but actually writing different emails for each customer based on their own circumstances. So that's where we see the difference between humanization, which is uh, making that kind of homo sapiens connection uh, mm-hmm. and personalization, which is really about relevancy. Well, I, the reason I'm bringing it up is, again, the early in the show, we talked about the future with AI, machine learning, and so on, is, <laughs> is it is that humanity, that humanization, mastering those uniquely, what I call uniquely human sales skills and behaviors that are going to be the ones that really create, enable you to create value for employers and for customers. 
Yeah, that's the irony, right? Is that is that as as the robots take over, being human becomes more important, not less. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. All right. Well, Jade, unfortunately, we've run out of time. I'd love to keep on going, but uh, let you we'll go. Do it so again. We'll, we'll, we'll do uh, we'll do version two sometime. That'd be excellent. So tell people how they can connect with you and find out more about you. Uh, our main site is convinceandconvert.com. Uh, all things social media, content marketing, and digital marketing. Uh, my podcast is the Social Pros Podcast, all about enterprise, uh, big brand social media. And we talk a lot about social selling there as well. All right. Well, again, Jay, thank you very much for joining me today. My pleasure. We'll do it again. I feel like I've accelerated. Is that is that the intended consequence? That is the intended consequence. Perfect. Good. So your work is right. done. Thank you. And friends, thank you for joining me. Make sure you come back and join us again next time for another great episode of Accelerate. Until then, if you get a chance, really appreciate it. With whatever device you're listening on, take a second to your app, pause the show, subscribe if you haven't done so already, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what we can do to serve you better. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 